Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. But hey, my name is Caleb, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my pleasure to be continuing in this series, The Elephant Room. So what we've been doing in this series is we've been hitting on some of the hot button topics of the day in the church. Uh, We've said over this series that there's some big questions, but God's word has big answers. And how many know that in the church for a long time, I think, that we weren't okay with the hard questions. In fact, we'd say, oh, those questions aren't okay here, aren't welcome here. But I believe that God isn't afraid of your questions. Uh, He's not afraid of your skepticism, thank you. Um, But God um, actually invites those. And one thing we say at this church is you don't have to believe to belong here. What we mean by that is even if you're just beginning your faith journey, you don't even know where you are on this faith journey, you're just curious about Jesus, you can still belong in this church. Now our heart and our prayer is that one day, You would believe in Jesus because we believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. But we want to be a place where you can ask the hard questions. Where you can come and have some skepticism. And we say, man, we're not afraid of that. We actually want to dig into that, lean into that. And let's really see what God's word says because I believe all the answers are in there. And so we've been hitting some interesting topics um, over the last few weeks. And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen. If you missed it, you can watch us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, we're on iTunes podcast. We're on Spotify podcast. So we're trying to make it as easy for you as possible to listen. But today I want to talk to you about the gospel and politics. And uh, already the room has gotten uncomfortable. In fact, the first service, they didn't know how to feel when I jumped into it. Man, I I do think that we live in one of the most politically charged times in our nation's history. Now, it's calmed down a little over the last year or so, two years, but we're coming up on another election year. And so let me tell you, things are about to ramp up again. And yet, even with things feeling a little calm at the moment, it still feels overall like there's this building tension in our culture politically. We say things like, uh, we talk about topics like gun control, climate change, abortion, health care, refugees, Black Lives Matter, immigration, same-sex marriage, homelessness, police brutality, sanctuary cities. And some of you are already triggered in this house. I mentioned the word Trump, and some of you are more triggered. There are so many topics that we're divided on, though, in this culture. And I just wanted to say... That much of what people have told me, like, well, that's political, so you shouldn't talk about that, I believe is actually biblical. And what happened is in the church, we were so afraid of politics, and, and, and I've had people literally come to me like, I don't ever want to hear you talk about politics in the church. But what we've called po- political issues are actually biblical issues. And so if the Word of God talks about it, guess what? We need to talk about it. If the word of God is telling us as Christians how to approach these topics, then in the church we need to talk about, man, church as a family, because we're a family, how are we going to approach these topics? And so today is a little bit of a family talk. You guys good with that? A little bit of a family talk, and I just plan on making you just a little uncomfortable today. Are you good with that? So, man, I I do think that for many of us, and, and probably my greatest challenge as a pastor 
is that we've elevated our political party over the word of God. And what's happened is because of cultural pressure and what our political party tells us and maybe the news channels we listen to, we begin to side more with a political stance than what the word of God tells us as Christians is, should be and, and needs to be our response to those things. And so the challenge for me as a pastor is I talk about an issue and it's biblical and I bring it from a biblical perspective, but it contradicts some of your perspective politically and then suddenly you're triggered, you're upset. Instead of saying, well, this has to dictate, dictate our thinking. This has to dictate our perspective. This has to dictate how we approach any topic politically. Now, I love our church. I love our church because we're very diverse. We're diverse racially. We're diverse uh, socioeconomically. We're diverse in age. I love our church. But with that comes some challenges. And what I've seen is like we actually have a pretty divided church when it comes to politically. Some of you align more you're left. Some of you align more right. Um, some of you are like me. I, I'm pretty moderate. I maybe fall more in the middle. But regardless, today we're going to have a family talk because we're going to look at what this says. And how we should approach uh, politics from this perspective. For too long we've had a, a worldview that's dictated by our culture when we need to have a worldview that's dictated by God's word. And so that's what we're going to do today. Now, I'm excited, and uh, I, I believe that God is going to actually bring some freedom in this house today. So I want to talk to you about a Christian's approach to our polarized political culture. Now, typically, I teach textually or expository uh, type of preaching in that I go through a passage of Scripture verse by verse. That's normally what we do at Project Church. In fact, in two weeks, we're back into the book of Mark. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Mark um, since January. It's going to take us two years to get through the entire book of the Bible. That's what we do as a church. But occasionally we'll stop and we'll take breaks for series like this. This is a four-week series to dig in and do something a little more topical. So I'm going to be coming at you with a bunch of scriptures today. I'm going to be jumping all around. So today's going to be a little bit about drinking from a fire hose, but I believe you guys are ready, and you're going to just embrace it. So here we go. Number one, first approach, Christian's approach to our polarized political culture is we need to fear God. Now, we don't talk about this in the church a lot anymore because we're like, oh, no, fear. We don't like that word. But biblically, when you actually translate this word fear, what, I, what we mean by that is a reverence or a respect for God. There's a reverence for the holy God that we serve. That you are so reverent to our God that you follow him first. You actually follow him before a political party or a political puppet or a person. You follow God first. You follow what he says. We fear God more than we fear our government. We fear God more than we fear popular opinion or what culture will tell us we should think or believe. Acts 4, 18 and 19 says then, and this is the beginning of the church. The book of Acts is really, it's called Acts of the Apostles because it's what the church is doing right after Jesus has ascended to heaven. So this is how they build the church. Then the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law called them in again, Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? 
You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. How many know that politically and also culturally there are going to be people that challenge you in your following of God and his word? There's going to be people that try to dictate how you should think, talk, believe, practice. But at the end of the day, we have to decide, look, I'm going to follow God before I follow anything else. Even if it's in contradiction to what culture says, to what people say, to what the political party I'm aligned with uh, says. I'm going to follow God first. I'm going to fear him first. Isaiah 33, 22 says, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. He's our king. He's our president. He's our Lord. He's the one that we follow first and foremost. And I think some people come to me, they've been like, how do I know what God says though? Like how do I know how to align myself uh, with the right side when it comes to some political topics? We know because we have this. And we dig into this. And I just want to tell you, because I think a lot of us like, this isn't our priority in our life. And I'm not here to condemn you or to make you feel guilty. You know what I love about God? When it comes to God and the things of God, it's a get-to culture, not a have-to. He's a, he's a get-to God, not a have-to God. You see, I get to read his word. I don't have to. There's no condemnation if you missed a day, a week, a month. You haven't ever read it in your life. There's no condemnation, but I want to tell you, if you start to read it, suddenly you'll want to read it. It's a get-to opportunity. And so I want to tell you, you need to dig into this, and, and not out of pressure or guilt or because God is trying to make you know. Because you want to and because you want to follow him. You want to know him better. It's the same way with church. Man, I love church. But I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. Some of you are here for the first time in months. Welcome back. Come on, give it up for the people that are back. We're so glad you're here. But let me tell you, there's no condemnation that you haven't been here. It's a get-to, but I'll tell you this, when you're in the house of God, you'll begin to see the importance of the house of God. When you're in the presence of other believers, you'll be, begin to see the power that comes in the presence of other unbelievers. When you come into a place where the presence is strong and people are worshiping, you'll begin to see that the Holy Spirit begins to download and impart things to you that you know you needed. That's why this is a get-to. Man, it's a get-to God that we serve. Not a have-to. We need to fear God. Why? Because we get to. Because when we fear him, he guides us. Because when we fear him, he imparts his spirit to us, his wisdom to us, and we can approach hard things. Let me tell you, I, I gave you a list of some of the topics politically that we're walking through right now. These are hard things. But when you have a God that knows it all, that has it all, that can impart all the wisdom you need, there is a blessing and something powerful that comes with that. So let's walk in fear of God first. Not what culture says, not what your political party says, not what a, a, a person says, but what our God says. Second, we have to protect the unity. Everybody say unity. A couple Sundays ago, I was preaching on unity, and we were in the lobby. We do a team rally for people that serve on Sunday mornings. So people get here early, and we, we do a little rally where we celebrate. And I was like, all right, guys, we do a chant at the end of the morning. And we always say something like, one, two, three, Jesus. And I was like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say you, and you guys are all going to say nitty. And they were like, nobody got it. 
they, they thought that I knew some new lingua, lingo. Um, they're like, man, Pastor Caleb was really with it. But I was trying to get them to say, you nitty, unity, get it? Um, I don't know why I told you that story. But protect the unity. 1 Corinthians 1.10, oh, all you're going to go home today and just be thinking, you nitty, you nitty. <laughs> it's a Nelly song, all right? <laughs> Those of you that are not children of the 90s, early 2000s, you don't know what I'm talking about. Come on, you can find me in St. Louis, okay? 1 Corinthians 110. Whoa, calm down. I appeal to you, brothers. Let's get back to Scripture. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now leave that up there. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's challenging them to be of one mind, of one heart, that they would have unity. Now I read that, and I'm actually like, yo, that's really hard. Like I read that, and I'm like, okay, by Jesus, we're supposed to agree. There's not supposed to be divisions among us. We're united in the same mind and the same judgment. Like, that's not easy when you have a group of people like we have here. It's not easy. But what Paul is writing, you see, he's writing to the church of Corinth, and in this day, they were actually having some teaching that was not in line with who Jesus really was. And so what Paul is writing to them, what he's talking about here is he's saying, look, you need to be united in your mind, in your thoughts, in your heart, you're in agreement under the name of Jesus, that he is the savior of the world, that no one comes to God except through him. He's bringing them into unity under the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something. We live in a very divided, polarized culture, and the church has to set the example of unity. We have to be united in this house. Now, I know you're not always going to agree on everything politically. You're not always going to have the same perspective. You come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels, different education levels. You're not all going to agree on anything. But when it comes to Jesus and that this world needs Jesus and that Jesus is the hope of this world, that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the healer, he's the restorer, he is the answer to everything this world is looking for, we have to be united under that. United under Jesus. One of the things that broke my heart more than anything I've ever seen was three years ago, right before the election, there were two people in our church who I saw on Facebook get into an altercation over a topic politically. And they started going at it back and forth. And at the end of the incident on Facebook and the interaction, one of them said to the other, I know we go to the same church, but I don't ever want you to talk to me. If you see me at church, walk the other way. This was how we ended the Facebook conversation. And at that moment, I realized, man, we've missed the main thing. The main thing is that we are all sons and daughters of the Most High. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't even matter your political perspective. Now, I might try to change it, and you might try to change mine, but at the end of the day, we are one in Christ Jesus. We are of one hope, one spirit, one mind, one Savior, one Lord, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. He is our Savior, and we have to be united under Him. We have to protect the unity in God's people. 
Look, nobody wants to be a part of a dysfunctional family. Some of you are from dysfunctional families. And unfortunately, people look at the church and what they see is a dysfunctional family. Now, are we ever going to be perfect? No. But I believe the church should be a place of health that people look at us and say, man, they are from all different backgrounds, perspectives, all different levels, education, everything, and yet still they're united, united in heart, united in spirit. We have to protect this unity in the house of God. Fight for it. Work at it. Let me tell you, protecting unity, it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come without a cost. It doesn't come without effort. It doesn't come without work. But we continue to work at it and fight for it. We protect it. Third, Christian approach to our polarized political culture is to respect those in authority. Listen, I almost pulled this one because I knew it might upset some of you. I wrote this point down, but I was like, no, I believe God wants me to share this with us today. Romans 13, 1 through 3, because this isn't me, this is his word. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. They will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. So I'm not saying that you have to respect always the person 100%. What I am saying is you have to respect the position that God has given them. Now, this is being written to, to the church in Rome who are in extreme, extreme uh, polarized political culture. The Romans have come in and taken over the nation of Israel. Do you understand what I'm talking about right now? Like, it, it is an occupation and they treat the Jews poorly. Uh, they, they beat them at times. They imprison them for nothing. And then they begin to imprison even more of them for following Jesus, for following the way, for their religious beliefs. This is the culture that they're living in. It's nothing compared to what we live in. And yet still, Paul is writing and he's saying, look, respect the authorities. I know we thought Jesus was going to come to this earth and he was going to overthrow this earthly kingdom, but he didn't come for that reason. He came to establish a heavenly kingdom. And so what we do on this earthly kingdom is we set an example as followers of Christ. That's what we are supposed to do. So listen, you need to pray for your leaders. When, I, when uh, President Obama was our president, I woke up every morning, I prayed for him. I pray that God would lead him, that God would bless him, that God would help him to be a good father, a good husband, a good leader, that he would give, the, he would give him perspective and, and wisdom. And now, when, when Trump became the president, I pray three times a day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, and now, I just had to throw it in there, I'm sorry. Now, I, I pray for our president, for President Trump, the same things. That God would speak to him, would give him wisdom, that God would impart who he is to him. We need to pray for our leaders, our local leaders. Let me tell you, I've, I've watched our local leaders, I've watched our state leaders. There is a lot of corruption in politics. There are a lot of puppets, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of money uh, being passed around. At the end of the day, that's not my job to worry about that. My job is to pray for them. And to say, God, speak to them. Show them your love. Because here's the reality. The reality is God has called us into this world, but he's called us to be in this world, but not of this world. 
I'm not saying you can't disagree with your political leaders. I can't, I'm not saying you can't um, take stances and if you want to march and you want to protest, like, that's all good. But we need to pray. We need to honor. We need to speak words of honor even at times when we don't want to. In our church, honor is our culture. We just honor Lydia. That's one of the things that we say all the time. We will be people of honor. What if God's people carried honor with them everywhere they went? That the words that came out off their lips and, and off their tongue were words of honor, even for those that they disagree with. Third or fourth, we're to stand for justice. If we're going to respond to our polarized political culture, the church must be people who stand for justice. That we would seek justice. That we would defend the oppressed. We would help the poor. We would love the least of these. Why? Because this is what the word of God commands us to do. You know what really drew me to my wife? It wasn't her, her outward appearance, even though I think she's beautiful. It was her heart. It was who she was. Because the Bible tells me beauty is fleeting. Now, thankfully, you're still holding on to it for, for a few more years, girl. But the grays are showing up on both of us. I'm talking about myself. Everybody chill. Like, beauty is fleeting. But her heart is what drew me to her. And her heart is why we've stayed coming up this Saturday, Friday, 11 years of marriage. I get them mixed up because my son's birthday is the 28th and my, our anniversary is the 27th and sometimes I flip them. So it's, I knew it was Friday, guys. Come on. 11 years, because of her heart. When I first met her, she was working for a nonprofit called Dusty Feet. Dusty Feet was a, an organization that had started a community center um, in the Mathari Valley of Nairobi, Kenya. And she was working that for them for nothing. I saw her bank account. I was like, Jesus, come on now. But why? She wasn't in it for the money. That's why she married me. <laughs> she wasn't in it for the money. It was because of her heart. That's what drew me to her. Some of you single men and women out there, you need to stop worrying about how you look on the outside and start working on your heart. Start working on the inside, because let me tell you, you can look great on the outside, but when somebody really gets to know you and your heart is off, they're going to be pushed away from you. So, man, you, you need to get married. Some of you need a husband. Some of you need a wife. Start working on your heart. May your heart break for what breaks God's heart. Let me tell you, you'll begin to draw the right kind of person to you. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the cause of the widow. Proverbs 31, 8, 9 says, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. You see, the gospel changes us. That's why every week is about the gospel and something, because the gospel makes us approach every topic differently. The gospel makes us approach politics differently. The gospel charges us to care for the planet. To welcome in the refugees, to care for the poor and give to the poor, to protect the unborn, to stand for those and, and stand for God's original intent as creator and how he made us. The gospel challenges us in some of these topics that people would say are political, but they're actually biblical. The 
gospel, we have to respond differently. I, I believe the gospel actually challenged us as Christians to do what many of us have turned over to the government to handle. Many of us have said, oh, well, that's the government's job. That's the government's, uh, that's what they should be handling. Like, I'm, I'm going to leave that in the government's hands. Let me tell you, if the church wasn't so inwardly focused, but rather gospel focused, I believe we would be the solution that this culture is looking for and is polarized over politically. The problem is the church actually abdicated their role and said, we're going to give it to the government to handle this. When the church was meant to be the hope of the world, the church was meant to feed the poor, the church was meant to deal with homelessness, the church was meant to go out to love those who are unlovely. But what we've done is we said, oh, that's the government's job. And so I got to call out both sides on this, the, the left and the right. Because I think what's happened is in the church, we just leave it to the government and we lean left, and we're like, well, I feel good about myself because, I, I mean, they, they, they help more for the poor. So, so I'm going to, I feel good about myself as a follower of the gospel. And, and, and so we feel good, but we're not doing anything ourselves, anything tangible, anything physical. And then we're on the right, and we're like, well, we don't want to just give handouts. We don't want to help because it's not really a hand up. We're just enabling people. And so we, we don't want to vote for that kind of thing. But then we're not doing anything ourselves either. You see, at the end of the day, we cannot leave it to the government to do what the church was meant to do. To be who the church was meant to be. And so I want to tell you, in like three weeks, four weeks, we're having our Hope Week as a church. We do this every year. And in Hope Week, we're going to release dozens of projects all around the community, hundreds of people to work and to serve and to love and to feed and to be the hands and feet of Jesus like we've been called to do. We can't leave it to the government to do what the church was meant and called to do for too long. We've abdicated that role. And it's time for the church to step up and to stand up. If the band would come back. Fifth and finally, everyone's favorite word. We've got to go watch the Niners win today, guys. So. A Christian's approach to our polarized political culture is we have to, we must proclaim the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel. So, on Wednesday this week, I was actually at Chili's. Somebody say amen for Chili's. Chili's queso. Thank you, Jesus. Nectar of the gods. It's right up there with Chick-fil-A. And Krispy Kreme donuts. Come on, somebody. Somebody told me the other day, Caleb, I think you're skinny fat. I was like, based on how I eat, yes. But man, uh, we were at Chili's on Wednesday night. And uh, we rolled in and we're eating. And we had the kids with us, a couple friends with us. And uh, walked in was our old neighbors. See, we moved four months ago, but our old neighbors walked in. They sat right next to us. And they have a six-year-old son, the same age, right in between my two boys. So at one point he came over and he sat at our table. And he sits there and he's just like staring at us like awkward six-year-olds do. And uh, we're all eating. And my, 
my seven-year-old walks around and sits next to him. And he says, AJ, are you a Christian? Asked him if he's a Christian. I, I do not tell him to do this. Okay, I was actually like, dude, what are you doing? Like, stop. He's like, are you a Christian? And the kid said, I don't know what that means. And Canaan said to him, he said, it just means you know Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you live your life for Jesus. Those were his words. That's his definition of the gospel, which I thought was pretty good. And the kid just looked at him and said, I'm Catholic. <laughs> and Canaan was like, good enough for me. <laughs> he didn't know what that meant. He didn't know where to go with it from there. But he's like, okay, cool. They high-fived. But, man, I, I love this moment because I believe the heart of God was in my son. This morning on the way into church, he asked us, he said, Dad, what happens if someone has never heard the name of Jesus and they die and they lived a good life? Can they go to heaven? I said, bro, it is way too early for me to answer that question. Let's talk later. <laughs> but man, his heart is that everyone would hear the gospel. And, and he's seven years old. This is just in him. He's always asked me, do you think they're a Christian? You think they're a Christian? We'll be driving around. You think they're a Christian? All the famous people on TV, you think they're a Christian? He told me today, Dad, I want to be an actor, but I don't want to swear. You see, the proclamation of the gospel has to be our first priority. Many people think that we have a political problem that will be solved with a political strategy that we've seen over the last 25, 30 years that many Christians and Christian organizations, evangelical activist organizations have sunk millions of dollars in an effort to use politics to lobby, to legislate, to demonstrate, to boycott, to counteract the moral decline of our American culture. And so this is what we see. And, and Christians are doing this. But I've often asked myself, is this the right perspective? Because if we look at history at all, we know that whenever the church focuses on evangelism, whenever the church focuses on preaching the gospel, that is when their influence increases. When the church focuses on what it was meant to focus on, that's when they have greater power. You see, I'm all for all those other things. But at the end of the day, we don't have a political problem. We have a spiritual problem. This world, this culture, this nation doesn't have a political problem. It has a spiritual problem. And the answer is not more lobbying, not more protesting, not more dollars, not, not more activism. The answer is the gospel. The answer is that Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, when he comes into your life, everything changes. Your perspective changes. Your thoughts change. Your purpose change. Your hope changes. Everything changes. John 18, 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You see, 
everybody thought Jesus was coming to overflow the political power of this day. The Jews were stoked. Jesus just said he was the Messiah. That means he's going to kick the Romans out and Israel's taking over. And Jesus said, no, I'm not establishing an earthly kingdom. I'm establishing a heavenly kingdom. Because an earthly kingdom will last for a few years, a few decades, maybe a few centuries. But a heavenly kingdom lasts for eternity. God has called us to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because we change eternity. We are to bring heaven to earth. You and I are heaven bringers, heaven carriers. No political activism, no political party is ever going to solve the answer or the, the problem that this world has. The answer is Jesus Christ. So we must proclaim unashamedly, unabashedly the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. We're building a heavenly kingdom. Many people in our culture have elevated We've elevated our political party. We've even elevated it over the Word of God. And if we side more with a political party than with Scripture, I believe that we have made that political party, those politics, maybe even that topic, an idol in our life. And so my challenge to us is that we would lay down our idolatry, that we would let go of, our, of, of what we think is right, and we would grab hold of this, and we would say, God, let this dictate my thinking. Let this guide my life. Let this guide my lifestyle. Let this guide how I vote. Let this guide how I live. That this would be what guides us moving forward. It has to be. It has to be as the church. The gospel is the answer this word is looking for. This world is looking for the gospel Jesus you see there's power in his name there's power in his name this word encouraged you today if you haven't heard we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento this is going to be the permanent home of Project Church we are here to stay in Sacramento but I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition you can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.